What's up, Cincinnati Bearcat fans? Welcome in to another episode of the BCJ Podcast brought to you by our wonderful sponsors at the Holy Grail. After the storm came through today, it looks like weather is going to be pretty darn awesome for about the next 10 days or so. So get on down to the Holy Grail before or after a Reds game or just any time and yeah, get some nice cold beers on tap, some good food, hang out downtown, but uh, make sure that you check those guys out. They've been great to us, so we want to help you know be great to them and uh, give some give some good love and good revenues and cold beers from from the Holy Grail. So, uh, with that, we will uh, jump in here to another Bearcat Journal podcast, and thank you to Dan Horde who is uh, our special guest this evening. Uh, very much appreciated. Obviously, uh, you know, saddened to hear the news of Chad's wife, Kelly, passing away uh, last night, this morning. You know, just uh, an outstanding uh, individual. Wonderful to be around. I've gotten to know her over the years working with Chad and and the family and everything. And, and obviously... You know, an angel to be willing to put up with <laughs> with him for as many years as as she did. So, we're gonna try to do uh, justice tonight. We're gonna try to just have some fun, and uh, you know, I won't get into any arguments with Dan about how many guys should be transferring out of the basketball program. So, we'll keep this one uh, uh, lighthearted and fun, and and hopefully everybody can uh, have a good evening. So. Dan, of course, thank you for uh, jumping in with us tonight. My pleasure. I do want to express my condolences to Chad and Kelsey and all of Kelly's loved ones and friends. I can't tell you how many times I have seen Chad at a practice or at a game. He's got a smile on his face. He's working the room, working his contacts, trying to get the latest Bearcat news for this audience. And then you find out after the fact that he spent the last 12 hours in intensive care or in the hospital or something like that, helping Kelly uh, through her ordeal. So it's been so inspirational to me, her toughness, their resilience. I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it. Heartbroken for them. Um, I'm not a, uh, a big praying man. So uh, when God hears from me, maybe he'll recognize that this is really important. It'll be like, oh, you, Horde, I haven't heard from you for uh, quite some time. But uh, I, I will be saying prayers uh, for their comfort going forward. And uh, I know we speak for all of Bearcat Nation that's active on the, the website and the message boards and appreciates Chad for his hard work uh, in really expressing our condolences to their family and Kelly's uh, many friends. Uh, she brought a lot of joy into the world. And I didn't get to know her real well. We met on a few occasions, but she always had a smile on her face and always seemed to be uh, enjoying herself wherever uh, we cross paths. So she will be dearly missed, no question about it. For sure, no doubt about it. And, you know, Chad's become one of my very good friends over the years. And so, you know, I, you know because of this and, and whatever else, I mean, him and I talk almost daily, whether it's, you know, when I'm picking up my son from school or from my mom or just trying to get to the bottom of some scoops and things like that. So, I mean, they really have become part of the the Simone crew and everything. So it's really, um, it's been a rough day, but I hope we can uh, have some fun tonight and 
and just give everybody a chance to just you know talk some UC everything and you know kind of you have been on the show obviously in the past it has been a while uh aaron and i were talking earlier that i had one of my biggest disappointments in spring football practice has been not having any saturday practices slash scrimmages so that you and i can talk nfl draft uh you know we we have not had a chance to do that yet and the draft is only three weeks away so uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll get there at the end. Talk well, to Bearcat guys. But uh, let me chime in right now, just so the audience knows you were team Chase. I was team Sewell. I don't you want were I right. Mean... You were right. I was wrong. <laughs> I learned a very important lesson from all of that. The value of a transcendent wide receiver is greater than the value of an outstanding offensive lineman, no matter how good that offensive lineman is. And, and to give you credit, I don't think you were wrong. Penny Sewell has been a very, very good player so far yeah. for the Detroit Lions. Correct. I yeah, think no, can... he's not a bust. He's been a great tackle, and I think no. he's ascending. I think he's going to be in many Pro Bowls. It's just positional value. If sure. you hit on the, white, on the right wide receiver – it is more valuable than any single offensive lineman with the possible exception of Anthony Munoz, but that might be it. <laughs> the, the game is slightly different too. Than That's from true. When. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, I think as Bengal fans, we, we were able to see it play out perfectly in the sense of the offensive line the year they went to the Super Bowl was a problem and they still went to the Super Bowl. Last year, the offensive line was, we'll just call it middle of the road average until the injuries happened and they still almost went to the Super Bowl. And even if you took Penny Sewell at the high, high level that he played and plugged him in instead of Jamar Chase, I don't think anybody can argue that they would have come close to going to the Super Bowl or to the AFC Championship game in the last two years. No doubt about it. And now they've added Orlando Brown Jr., which should make the offensive line even better. And I didn't realize this until earlier today. I was... Uh, doing an interview for my podcast, the Bengals Booth Podcast, and I hadn't put this math together. Do you realize they got Orlando Brown Jr. for the exact same contract within a few dollars of what the Falcons gave Jesse Bates? Now that you say it, yeah. I mean, it was like four years, four years 62. 64 mil. 64, yeah. $31 million bonus to Orlando Brown Jr., Bates got 36. He actually got a bigger bonus. They're both 26 years old. So when you consider positional value there, For sure. left tackle versus sure. safety, same Absolutely. age, same price, unbelievable move by the Bengals. That's right. But and we, we, I have a, a, a super, I'll go out on a big limb of te, you know, team chase, team Sewell. We might get into it at the end uh, since it's not, you know, so much UC related, but I am, uh, I'm, I've kind of started to plant my flag on Team Bijan. So, you think you'll be there at 28? Uh, no, but Either I can, I. but yet I can still see, you know, the whole running back thing again. But anyway, um, let's start with football since it's currently going on. And, and I, I don't want to assume, but I, I imagine you've been to, some practices almost everyone i was not at the most recent i was there today and it got canceled i was i was there too and 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 for about a half an hour and then i was like 
I don't think this is going to happen, and I don't yeah. feel like getting soaked trying to get to my car, so I'm going to to take off. Um, just kind of, we'll just, I'll throw you the, the terrible, you know, opening question, just overall impressions through whatever, I know some have been canceled, but so far this spring, as far as, you know, Coach Satterfield has been here for almost exactly four months. Your take on your interactions with him, his personality, his coaching style, his staff, just what you've and what you've just kind of seen so far that has intrigued you, concerned you, just, you know, all encompassing. Well, let me backtrack to my uh, first not contact with coach Satterfield, but my first attempts to learn about him, I'll put it that way. So the word comes down that he's getting the job. And what I did was reach out to everybody that I know that knows him. So the Louisville broadcaster, the Appalachian state broadcaster, network broadcasters that have done Louisville or Appalachian state games, the Bengals trainer, Matt Summers, who was with him at Louisville for several years. So we're probably talking about six or seven people that I either texted or called immediately after the news came down. And every single person, no exception, said he is one of the finest human beings I have ever met. I love the guy. His staff loves him. Your cat who's walking in front of the screen is going to love him. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how often you, uh, you get to watch the podcast, but she, without fail, Every time we jump on, she jumps up. Yeah. And ha- her name is Pickle. She is a pseudo celebrity, pseudo like mascot of yeah. Bearcat Journal. So kudos to Pickle. I thought it was just the mere <laughs> mention of uh, hearing so many you know good things about Scott Satterfield. But again, everybody said this guy is great. People love working for him. The players are going to love playing for him. The staff will like him. You'll enjoy uh, working with him. So that all has been true so far. My interactions with him have been great. Uh, The guys who came with him from his previous stops speak so highly about working for him, how much they love it, how loyal they are. Uh, The guys who were retained or staff members that were retained really seem to enjoy working for him so far. The players have said nothing but good things. So all of that is good. I think when John Cunningham made this hire, one of his priorities was, I want to hire a coach who makes – Playing football at Cincinnati, a great experience. I think he did that when he hired Wes Miller. I think he did that when he hired Scott Satterfield. Now the next question becomes, you know, is he going to win a lot of games? I don't know. Nobody knows. Uh, He's inheriting uh, this job at a difficult time. They're moving into a tougher league. It would have been difficult even if Coach Fickle had stayed. Now it becomes a little more difficult, at least in the short term, because of the turnover on the roster. Uh, So, you know, I don't know. We'll see how successful he'll be. Um, I I certainly don't look at the Louisville situation as my gauge for whether he's going to win a lot of games at Cincinnati. I think that was impossible because of what was going on in their athletic department at the time. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I look forward to seeing how this thing goes over the course of the next few years. I've enjoyed the practices that I've attended. I think they run, you know, really smoothly. The operation is crisp. I think the assistant coaches are impressive. I think Brian Brown in particular, the defensive uh, coordinator, is a rising star in the business. I think he's one of the more impressive young coaches I've seen come through Cincinnati in my limited exposure to him. So uh, question marks, especially side of the ball. 
I'm I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how this things goes and thing goes in the years to come. Yeah, I think you know there's I think there's a lot of reasons to be encouraged uh, defensively, and I think there's a lot of questions offensively. I mean, correct. Whether it's the quarterback position, the offensive line, the five people they have in the wide receiver room right now, uh, you know, but that is part of that is what spring practice is for. Um, has any particular group of players or players kind of stood out to you, whether it's a, a newcomer or maybe a someone that was has been on the team but is looks primed to maybe take a, a jump this season? I'll give you one of each. In the returning player category, I think Deshaun Pace is primed to have a tremendous year, <clears throat> the way he's going to be used in this defense and more of kind of a hybrid linebacker safety type of role with some more freedom built in than what he had last year. I think you're going to see the Deshaun Pace from two years ago when people were talking about him as an NFL prospect and maybe even better than that. I think the coaching staff is thrilled by having him in that role. In the newcomer category, the guy that stood out the most to me is wide receiver D. Higgins, or Wiggins, rather. <laughs> I wish it was Higgins. Uh, but uh, but D. Wiggins, who's a transfer from Louisville, so he's got experience in this offense and with this coaching staff. He's had some injury problems in the past, and he's been banged up a little bit this spring as well. But he has, when, when he's been out there and healthy, uh, he has been tremendous, no matter who's throwing him the ball. Bigger target, 6'3" almost 200 pounds. Uh, I think he is poised to be a very productive wide receiver in this offense on this team. What has been kind of your take on, I know Ben Bryant has been somewhat limited at times coming back from his injury to me. I mean, I'm not obviously not a doctor, but I'm kind of surprised that he has been as involved as he ha has been. I figured he would be probably out most of, if not all the spring, just your, your kind of thoughts on him and, and Emory Jones, they seem to be kind of the two main options, I would say, at this point for what could be the starter. And then, um, you know, uh, Evan's been been out most of spring or some spring. So Brady, the, I guess the Brady's, um, you know, where, where do you see things in the quarterback room? Well, it certainly looks like it's Ben versus Emory to me. And that decision's not going to be made this spring. That's going to come down to training camp because Emory Jones to me looks like a guy who's in his third offense in three years, which is what he's in. He was pretty darn good for Florida a couple of years ago, uh, you know, in, in the toughest league in college football, led that team to a bowl game, had reasonably good stats, threw for almost 3000 yards, ran for more than 700. And then last year in a disastrous situation in Arizona State where the coach gets whacked three or four games into the year, it wasn't a good experience for him. But there's a lot of talent there. Uh, right now, you can just see that his head is spinning a little bit. I don't think he's you know, reading things that quickly. I'm sure that will get better with more reps in this offense, with these receivers. Uh, he's thrown more picks than you would like to see so far in the spring. But when he takes off and runs, it's impressive. And uh, I'm certainly not ruling him out as the uh, the starter at the beginning of the season. As for Ben, I agree with you. I think he has surprised himself by how quickly his injury has come along. In the most recent practice that I, that I attended, which was two practices ago, he was running and running well. He ran a zone read in the red zone and took off and ran for a touchdown where he looked as mobile as he has ever looked. And we know he can throw the ball. And 
you know, I got a little frustrated at times last year that, you know, people were calling for Evan and, and not really seeming to recognize how well he played after the first game of the season. Uh, he, you know, he didn't get off to a great start in week one on the road at an SEC opponent. But at the time of his injury, they were nine and two. They were in the top 25 nationally. They were getting to ready, ready to play a home game for the league championship, which I think they probably would have won if he was 100%. Um, 21 touchdown passes, seven picks. It's a pretty darn good season. So I think you've got two good options there. I will say that when we heard that Emory Jones was transferring in, he seemed to fit the profile of a Scott Satterfield quarterback. If you've looked at the guys that he's had in the past, uh, was it Armani Edwards at Appalachian State? Yeah. I, I believe that was uh, him. Mm-hmm. Uh, 9,000 passing yards, 4,000 rushing yards. Malik Campbell at Louisville, 9,000 passing yards, 5,000 rushing yards in his career. There was a quarterback uh, in between those guys at Appalachian State, Taylor Lamb, who had a great career. Another guy, 9,000 some passing yards, 2,000 rushing yards. So I think ideally he would like to have a running threat like Emory Jones. But if Ben Bryant outperforms Emory in training camp, I'm 100% confident that he will get the job if he's the best guy for it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you brought up a good point with uh, with Emory and his revolving door of offenses and offensive coordinators. And then I also wonder, too, not that Ben is any more familiar with the offense or any more familiar with the offensive line and the scheme or things like that, but em- a lot of Emory's game is so much predicated on the threat of running. And with the offensive line, you know, being worked on and the formats that you have in spring practice. You know, I wonder if in more of a true live situation, if he plays better just because like, you don't really have to honor him running the ball right now. You know, like you get barely get a finger on the guy and they're going to, they're going to blow the play dead. So, you know, how much of not that, that, you know, losses over the interceptions and things of that nature, but I, yeah, I just wonder his overall performance. Does that improve when he can legitimately take off, you know, or they can call plays in that nature for him that that allow him to to do those things? Fair point. Excellent point. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of those uh, situations that you alluded to, where he takes off and gets tagged and he's down after a two yard gain. Those are 20 yard runs for a guy his size and his weight and with his speed in a real game. And those are going to be big plays potentially in this offense. So that's one of the things that we're really not going to to know this spring. But I do think there will be periods in training camp in the fall, not necessarily where he's going to get tackled, but where they're going to be looking at that a lot more closely to determine who's the best guy for this team in this offense. Right. The, uh, you know, something that's that's been of interest to me, partly because of my interest in the NFL, is kind of this new wave of infrastructure of a program. You have now UC has a general manager and a you know different titles in the recruiting department. Have you had the chance to talk to any of those guys, whether it's Zach Grant, Jack Griffith, you know, Coach Satterfield, about those roles? I mean, that's a great that's a some, that's some stuff that I'm super interested in is just what are those roles made of? What are, you know, 
what are their responsibilities and how does that impact the, the team and program as a whole? You know, I have not talked to those guys other than in passing about their jobs, but I have talked to some of the, you know, the returning people on the staff about that. And they are so impressed by the way this staff does that. Uh, clearly that was not, you know, the approach that coach fickle had, I'm sure he's going to be adopting more of that going forward at Wisconsin, because I think that's kind of the trade uh, the, uh, the, the way things are going in the college game right now, you almost have to treat it like the NFL with the transfer portal and everything else. But uh, they seem to be ahead of the curve where that is concerned. And like I said, some of the returning people um, that are part of the program have been wowed by this staff's approach to that, how they are you know, studying talent around the country to constantly, constantly be ready and aware for what might be out there in, uh, in areas of need. From a, you know, just from an overall standpoint of going into the Big 12, and I don't think you and I have talked about this, and you have, like I said earlier, you haven't been on the show in a while. Like, what is something, we'll get into basketball and everything else, but from a football standpoint, what are you, just personally, whether it's you, Bearcat fan Dan Horde, or broadcaster Dan Horde, like, what are you most looking forward to about football in the Big 12? The interest level at all of those programs. We are no longer going into places where the stands are three quarters empty, where the game day story in the local paper is on page four, because the page one story is about programs that are nearby in bigger conferences. Everywhere Cincinnati goes in the Big 12, that is the story. And people are passionate and the stands are packed. And, uh, you know, it's going to be much more difficult to have nine and 10 and 11 win seasons, but that's okay. I think every league that Cincinnati has ever been in, it's only a matter of time before they compete to be one of the, you know, the best teams in that league, whether it's football or basketball. And I genuinely believe that's the way it's going to play out in the big 12. So uh, challenging, certainly, uh, especially in year one, but I think it's going to do nothing but great things for the program long-term. Is, is there a particular road trip you're most looking forward to going on? Well, Kansas basketball I, is number I, one. I, before we, before I, I, I say that knowing that nothing will compete with Greenville or or Tulsa. <laughs> so that being said, are there any others that you're you're you know looking forward to? Kansas basketball is at the top of the list. I've never seen a game at Fog Allen, so that's going to be a thrill to have the opportunity to broadcast a game there. Football-wise, Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU, those programs, great venues, unbelievable environments, you know, passionate fans. Uh, I wish that were the case from top to bottom in the American. Obviously, it is not, so that's going to be a, a, a real great experience to, to go to those places and, and uh, walk into the stadium and know that, you know, everybody in there is into it and uh, determined to see their team knock you off. Yeah. I I think when it, I mean, we've been talking about it for a long time, but when it finally became official, I think Chad and I were, we're talking about it about just like, and I said, it, it finally matters to everybody. Yep. And that was the thing that I was most looking forward to was that, you know, because, you know, it obviously it helped us, our business and our fandom that you see, especially in football, was playing very well. So that kind of helped 
glossed over some of the other things. But even at that point, like I remember there'd be games, SMU would be six and zero or seven and one, and you go there and there's still only, you know, uh, not even a half empty stadium. And you're like, these guys are actually, actually a good team that we're playing and they don't even like come out. And so how do you want us to get excited if nobody else really gets excited? So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. Obviously we'll, you know, because my brother went to school there, we already have our hotel rooms in Morgantown. So, you know, re- ready to go on that trip and, and we'll see where else we go. But uh, let's switch over to basketball. And, you know, the Bearcats had a nice run in the NIT. Just, you know, what did you think of kind of the season as a whole? You obviously get a front row seat. You talk to West, you talk to the players, you go on the trips, you kind of see how things went from November to March. Where do you land on on year two and, and how things went this year? Well, it was certainly a, a vast improvement from year one, not only in terms of the number of games they won, but I think, you know, if you take a look at the analytics, they were better on both sides of the court. Uh, they qualified for the second most prestigious postseason tournament, which is a good thing. So I, I was you know, I, I don't think any Bearcat f- fan was thrilled because the goal is always to get to the NCAA tournament. But I was pleased uh, with the direction that the program is going. And I just have so much faith faith in Wes. I know his work ethic. Uh, I know his X's and O's knowledge. Uh, I know the style of basketball he wants to play. I think it's going to be really appealing to recruits. And now he has the big 12 to work with. And yeah, it's more challenging, but you can appeal to a level level of player in that league that is very difficult to appeal to in the American. Sure. Houston's been able to do it, but it's really, really only this past year that they did it with five-star recruits and really just one five-star recruit. Uh, Memphis has done it, but Memphis is a bit of an outlier because of Penny. I think Cincinnati is going to get the kind of players in the Big 12 uh, that we were accustomed to seeing this program get in the glory years. And uh, like I said, I, I have the utmost faith in uh, Wes. I, I think he's tremendous. And uh, I, I think Bearcat fans are going to be thrilled by what he does with this program. Obviously, the you know, the Big 12 will not necessarily always be as absurdly good as it was this year where, you know, you were legitimately having arguments. Will every team make the tournament up until about, you know, two weeks before selection Sunday, but you know, from your standpoint and you, where you sit, you get a much, uh, such a great vantage point of everything. Where, where do you think that they kind of need to focus in on it and get better so that they, you know, they can go into the big 12 and com- compete the best they can in that first year? Well, the the thing that's missing on the roster right now are bigs, or at least a big, a quality big that can go into the Big 12, can protect the rim better, can give them some offensive punch. Um, I think that's the number one priority in the transfer portal. I think if you look at the list of guys that Cincinnati has reached out to, it seems to primarily be two spots, scoring guard type wing, you know, body type and bigs. Um, so I, I think that's what they're concentrating on. I, I think they're they have been relentless in trying to uh, you know appeal to the best guys out there. 
And uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident they're going to land at least a couple of good ones. I, at this point, we don't know exactly any, how many openings there will be. But I think scoops? it's pretty safe to say there'll be at least a couple. You got any scoops you want to drop here, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't. I, I think we've seen on Twitter, so it's not really a scoop. <laughs> right. that, that Jameel Reynolds of uh, Temple has Cincinnati in his final five. And so it's you, speak, speaking of him, you yeah. have obviously seen him play because he is played for temple and yes. usf uh, yeah so they've competed your, your, against your, them. your thoughts on his on him i think there's a lot of upside there i think jameel reynolds with mike rayfeld's help can be a great college basketball player and consider the the company that we're keeping in trying to convince him to transfer to cincinnati kansas is in the final five mississippi state's in the final five uh ucf one of our you know, rivals going forward, moving from the American to the Big 12 is in his final five. So those are the types of teams that you want to be competing against in the transfer portal and hopefully beating. So uh, I know they're working it hard. I was happy to see that, you know, Jamil has publicly listed Cincinnati in his final five. He's 6'10", probably needs to lose some weight, but uh, I think Mike Rayfeld could help him be a great college basketball yes. player. Sounds like he will be visiting tomorrow. So, you know, he's got some other visits lined up after that. Sounds like maybe an end of the month type decision for him. So we'll, we'll kind of see where that goes. Well, you know, there's definitely some intriguing, intriguing players that uh, it sounds like UC has at least inquired about. You never know if that's reciprocated back and, you know, where it goes until maybe a visit happens or a coach goes and visits. But, um, I, I agree with you that, you know, they they definitely could use the, the positions that you talked about, especially on the interior. I think there's just a different – outside of, you know, a Houston and Memphis from like an athletic and size standpoint, they're going to see that on a every-night basis now in the Big 12 versus, a, you know, a couple times a season – and not to say that the guys in the AAC weren't big or athletic, but it's, you know, it's, it's more of a, a continuous run of players. And then there's a guy coming off the bench that is very similar to that. And, and I think, especially in the post, they need to in, improve their um, size and athletic ability quite a bit. Agreed. And skill level. I mean, every team in the big 12 has those guys and usually plural. So Cincinnati is going to have to get stronger in that area. I'm sure they will. I think Jameel Reynolds would be, you know, a great addition to the roster if they can get him. He certainly has the size and the skill level. Um, you know, he's, he's not a guy that's going to jump out of the gym, but you can feed it to him on the low block and get a basket. And uh, that would be a nice addition to the roster going into that league. For sure. Sure. The, uh, have you been like probably not since you've been doing the UC stuff? The, th the thing that I'm probably most looking forward to of anything for the Big 12 is the conference basketball tournament. Uh, it's one that I've always wanted to to go to. Everybody, you know, everybody goes to every game, you know, starting whatever they start Wednesday, Thursday, it's packed. You know, your team might not even be playing, but you want to go and be there. We had fan council. Last night, some of those guys uh, on the on in the department went and said 
it's outstanding. Is, is where does that rank on on the things that you're looking forward to to going to? Very high on the list. We got a little bit of a taste of it last year when Cincinnati played in that in-season tournament, the Hall of Fame Classic or whatever it was called in Kansas City. And, you know, that wasn't an event that was packed, uh, but you were in the venue, you were in the city, so you got a little bit of a sense of what it might be like. Now add fans from every team in the league at a fairly centrally located spot, tremendous arena, good downtown. They have the Kansas City Live thing that they do with you know, concerts and stuff going on uh, during that week. So that's very high on the list of things that I'm looking forward to. You know, I used to love the Big East tournament for obvious reasons. It was very similar in the sense that people would go there and go to every game or at least go to a bunch of games because they were so entertaining. The venue is cool. You just wanted to be there and it was special. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case in every league, uh, but it's certainly the case in the Big 12. Um, you know, if you tune into any game in that tournament, the place is rocking. So it is going to be fun to be in a conference tournament that's like that again. I've always said in the American, I thought they should have put it in Memphis every year because that was the one place where people would go uh, in, in terms of traveling to the city. It was kind of a, you know, an easy place to get to, fun little downtown, plenty of hotels, and then a city that loves basketball. So they attended it pretty well. Um, which unfortunately was not the case in Fort Worth. You but, mean uh, having it in Hartford and wasn't, you know, wasn't the best Hartford idea? Was <laughs> yeah, Hartford was dreadful. But uh, yeah, Kansas City is going to be special. And it's, you know, it's just, it's cool to be in that company. It, it's nice to have a seat at the table in a league like that. Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, I think that was, especially when, you know, obviously the program has gone through, several changes but you know the thing that was always frustrating when Mick had things going was that you were more worried about not playing your best every night and what that would do to you as far as see like we always knew we were going to make the tournament but it's like if we just have one off day and lose to East Carolina like what is that going to do where now you can go again you still have to take care of your business in non-conference but West Virginia showed it like you can have a losing record in conference and still have a chance because you have so many more opportunities and I think that's the that's the exciting part of yes there's going to be struggles yes they're going to lose games but the win all the wins will matter and that that was rarely the case in in the American no doubt about it and considering how important your net ranking is and you know your quad one wins and the quad two wins the number of opportunities you get in that league are so astronomically high in comparison to just about any other league out there it's so advantageous for qualifying for the NCAA tournament and yes you got to take care of business to get there you know if you finish last and only win a couple of league games it's not going to do it but West Virginia was not only below 500 but they were several games below 500 in the big 12 and it doesn't seem like they were even one of the, you know, the last four teams in. They were pretty safely in yeah, by what, Selection eight, Sunday. Eight seed? Yeah. Eight, so, eight or nine, so. Correct. Correct. They were in the 8-9 game. That's correct. Yeah. So uh, that was the case in the, the glory years of Cincinnati's participation in the Big East. You know, the one year where, where 11 teams made it and they were among them. So it will be good to have those kinds of opportunities to build an NCAA tournament resume just with the sheer number of opportunities you have with the quad one games. A lot of construction going on at campus now. I you know, drove over there to 
day. They are well on their way on the uh, indoor facility. Have you have you gotten to get any good details on what we should expect from that? Have you have you seen any pictures, any fun little nuggets? I know they're keeping me even. They're keeping it pretty pretty tight lipped. So I don't want you to get yourself in trouble or anything. But you know anything you'd be willing or allowed to to share? <laughs> I have not seen like architecture drawings and, you know, renderings of what this is going to look like. I wish I had. It's one of those things that, you know, you love to get a sneak peek. Uh, but I think that uh, John Cunningham, this has been kind of his baby since he became the athletic director. And, you know, I, I know a tremendous amount of thought and attention have gone into this being the type of show place that other teams in our next league have. So it's going to have to be impressive. I'm sure it will be impressive. They're obviously spending a lot of money to make sure that that's the case. So I don't necessarily have any great nuggets for you other than uh, I think it's the type of place that's going to have a significant wow factor going forward for UC. Yeah, we, uh, I, I hope so as well. And I think so as well. I mean, just in, there's a lot of, um, I, I tried to, you know, of course, pull some some stuff out last night but they were they were pretty tight-lipped too so i don't know if they're just not that they don't know if they're not they're not telling us i mean our 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 term at the uh fan council is almost up so i i don't have to you know keep quiet for much longer but they're not even giving us any any details on that matter is is there anything just you know anything else big 12 wise that that you're kind of just personally looking forward to yeah, obviously we touched on you know, the the on the court on the field stuff, and but uh, you know it, it's 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 been talked about for so long that I think when July when July first gets here, it's not that it will be anticlimactic, but I think we're all kind of to the point of like okay, let's play some games. So you know, have you gotten to here? I'll, have you gotten to uh, meet Brett Yormark? What do you think of some of the? his hipper cooler, whatever you want to yeah. call, it, call it, big 12, you know, from, from your standpoint, what, what have you, what are you kind of looking at in, in that world? Super impressive. So I had an opportunity to do a one-on-one -on -one interview with him when he visited the UC campus shortly after uh, he took over as the big 12 commissioner. Uh, I was extremely impressed in that one-on-one -on -one conversation. And I think some of those newer hipper type things that you're referring to are brilliant. The idea of having, uh, like a street ball event in New York City to reach out and, and you know, establish more connections in the biggest market in the country, I think is great. I think having a pro day for every team in the conference in Jerry World that's going to be televised live on uh, NFL Network, I think is brilliant. You know, his background is different. It's a marketing TV background. These are the things that he's thinking about. And I think those are the most important things to be thinking about in this day and age. Um, he's made, you know, no secret of his desire to have the conference play games in every time zone. I think he's doing everything under his power to try to appeal to the Pac-12 schools that may break off and consider another league. So I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but considering how TV negotiations seem to be dragging along uh, with no end in sight in the Pac-12, uh, it seems like every day that that you know, goes on without a resolution, it seems more and more likely that maybe some of those, uh, you know, the four corner schools, for example, might wind up in the big 12, which would be really cool.
And uh, let me uh, throw one more thing in because, you know, you started to ask, is there anything else about the league that, that I'm looking forward to? The answer might surprise you. Women's basketball. Did you watch the championship game last Sunday? Uh, the NCAA the, Women's the Championship Iowa, game? The Iowa LSU game? Yes, the Iowa LSU yeah, game. A, a little bit of it. I caught some right. of it. All right. So it got a monster TV rating. I saw that. Correct. Uh, apparently beat every Thursday night football game. We know that the NFL is king when it comes to TV. So it topped Thursday night football, at least on Amazon. So, you know, that cut down on the NFL rankings. Uh, topped any Stanley Cup final game since 2003 or something like that. Beat all of the major sport all-star games. You know, the bottom line is it got a huge rating. I was locked in. Uh, I had not seen Caitlin Clark prior to the semifinal game on Friday night. And as I tweeted, I'm like, why the hell didn't more people tell me you've got to watch <laughs> some Iowa women's basketball? It was unbelievably entertaining. And I'll be honest with you. I think I was more excited to watch the women's championship game than I was to watch UConn San Diego State the next night. That was the Caitlin Clark factor. So now Cincinnati is going into a league with Katrina Merriweather taking over at coach as coach with a, a great track record in her seven years as a college basketball head coach, where the 10 teams in the league, nine out of the 10 either went to the NCAA tournament or the women's NIT. Nine out of the 10 had winning records. So this is going to be a big step up for UC, but I, similar to what I was saying with the men's team, I think it's going to allow Katrina to recruit the types of players that Cincinnati has not been able to recruit probably since the Lori Pirtle era. So let me throw women's basketball in as something I am really looking forward to with Cincinnati joining the Big 12. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's the, the old, what, the old cliche, high tide raises all boats. But, I mean, the program, the department as a whole, I mean, you can say it about every sport, except maybe except maybe my guys on the golf team, um, need to really, really improve to compete at the level that we want to compete in the Big 12. And it's probably not going to happen overnight. But you hope that being having the benefits of now being in that level of a conference, I mean, you know, we talk about it on this site a lot because we are the diehards. Like, you pay money to talk about your team like you, you're a diehard. But the average fan probably doesn't realize that, like, the amount of money UC was making being in the American versus the amount of money they're going to make once they're a full shareholder in the Big 12 is... I mean, it's hard to put into words. And yes, you're still going to be miles behind the SEC and the Big Ten. But, but I mean, you're going from like we're just going to we'll just be conservative here and say ten million to fifty million. Right. When when everything's in, included, I mean, UC has been a premier football program for the last six years. We don't know if that's going to continue. You never know year to year. The basketball program was very very good for you know 20 to 30 years and they're essentially doing that for the most part with one hand tied behind their back compared to the teams that they're trying to compete against so yes the first year or two might be lean but when all of that stuff kicks in like you said earlier i mean 
Bearcat fans know conference realignment probably better than any fan base in the country <laughs> uh, for various reasons. And we've always kind of figured it out. And I don't know why it wouldn't be the case again when you're now kind of on such a more even playing field than the, with the teams that you're that you were consistently beating before. Correct. I mean, you you've had to spend like the teams that you were trying to compete with with a fraction of the revenue coming in. You're like, now a, it's co- going you're to be- like a college kid. I don't, you, you went to college you know, a little a few years before I did, but I remember at Tennessee, first week or two of college, there'd be all these people set up trying to get you to sign up for credit cards. <laughs> and, and we had a buddy that he signed up for all of them. And uh, I feel like that's what UC was. It's like they were just maxing out credit cards as a college kid that had never been to the bars before to try to compete with the senior, you know, to compete yeah. with everybody else. Right. So now you're going to be making five times as much money in TV. And as you noted, they're not going to make as much as two leagues going forward, the SEC and the Big Ten, but it used to be five leagues. So <laughs> at least we're only going to be poor in comparison to two instead of five leagues and, you know, 60 some teams, whatever yeah. that was. Um, it, it puts Cincinnati on at least a more level playing field and gives them a seat at the table. As I've said over and over again, if you think about the run to the 14 college playoff last year, all of the things that had to go right for that to happen, it was like a miracle. You know, no, you no, needed it wasn't like a miracle thing it, it, to line it up was, just right. It was a miracle. Almost. <laughs> Because not only do you have to take care of every possible thing on your end, you've got to go undefeated. You have to have profile, high-profile non-league games that other great programs are willing to play, and then you've got to win those games. You've got to hold on to a great coach, which they were able to do. You've got to have a great quarterback. You know, they had the greatest quarterback in school history. And then you need a lot of help. It's not even enough to do all those all of those things on your end. You need every other league out there to not have undefeated teams. So all of these things came together and Cincinnati pulled it off and it was awesome. Well, going forward in the Big 12, all you have to do is win the Big 12. Now that's going to be difficult. It's a good league, but it doesn't require help from anybody else. Just win your league. Be the best team in your league and you will have a seat at the table to potentially play for a national championship. Big difference from all the things that had to go right for Cincinnati to oh, make it to the Cotton Bowl. Sure. And even, and then when it expands to 12 teams, you might not even need to win your league. True. So, yeah, I mean, it's there were, you know, the ride, I think the ride, you know, kind of took over all of us. And then after the fact, you maybe kind of sat back and, and thought about all the things that had to, I mean, even like uh, personally, I'm still, you you can't convince me that if Oklahoma State doesn't make that play on the last play of the Big 12 championship game, like I'm still convinced Baylor would have jumped them. I'm not, but I can certainly see the argument. You may be right. Uh, I, I think Cincinnati had, you know, they, they kind of had swayed the, the national media right. into thinking, you know what? These guys have done everything required of them. They went to Notre Dame and won. 
they're undefeated in their league. They won their league championship against a good team. They deserve it. So I, I think they would have still had that fourth spot, but you know, who, who knows for sure. You might be right. I can't, I can never trust Gary Barta. <laughs> <laughs> what? I, I don't know how much you fought. I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with conference realignment expert, Dan Simon. I don't know how much you follow conference realignment uh, in all of the millions of things that you're doing. Just, you know, if you do follow it, are you, do you, are you interested in it? Are you hopeful that maybe some Pac-12 schools were to come to the Big 12? Do you not care because you're like, hey, UC's there now. I'm not, it's a great league regardless. Like, I'm just excited to be there. Like, just, you know, kind of where, where are you on that topic? I do care, especially as, as it applies to the Big 12, because at this point, financially, they're not going to be able to bring in the same kind of revenue as the SEC and Big 10 going forward. We understand that. But they're in a real position to be a dominant number three league in terms of revenue. And I think their case for that is strengthened if they can add good schools from you know, mountain and Western time zones. So if you can add the Arizona schools, Colorado, and I guess Utah, Utah is the most frequently mentioned. Maybe it turns out to be San Diego state. I don't know. Uh, but if you can add schools like that, uh, I think that would be very significant in making the big 12, the third right. best in terms of revenue, you know, behind the sec and the big 10. Sure. There's been, I guess you can't even say rumors because, They've, I mean, it's kind of been confirmed, but where, where do you land on the Gonzaga topic as being a, a basketball only and what, you know, do we start, you know, do we start then down the road of what eventually torpedoed the Big East, um, you know, or is are they kind of on a different level because of where they are nationally? I'm not in favor. Now, I, I might be able to be talked into it, um, and it's not so much because of the Big East experience. I went to Syracuse when I got there. The Big East was in its early years, so I was there for the growth of the Big East. I loved that. I loved when Cincinnati was in that league. Uh, you know, it was really good for UC going to the Orange Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. And, you know, it was very good for getting the basketball program back to a, a really high level. I just don't think that Gonzaga is a great fit. I mean, it's so out there in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I've been to Spokane several times for NCAA tournament it's, games. It's Great, very, play, but it's very, very difficult to get to. Yeah, it's to me that's a, just a tough one for me to imagine, and it's hard for me kind of to imagine Gonzaga wanting to be part of it. Now, you know, Brent Yormark is a smart man. Mark Few is a tremendous basketball coach. Maybe when they you know, look at the potential revenue and. Gonzaga yeah. being part of what has, at least in recent years, been the toughest basketball league top to bottom. Maybe that's what they want, but it seems like they've got things going pretty well, as is. Um, they yeah, play a ton I, of, of high-profile non-league games to to uh, you know add to the coffers and wind up being a high seat every year. So that one, to me, is kind of a head-scratcher, but clearly there have been enough talks that there must be something to it. Yeah, I, mean, I I feel like it's a it's them looking at the, the revenue element of it. Um, Brett Yormark is a basketball guy to his core, so I can understand maybe his personal, you know, drive to make that happen. But like you said, like if you just add a singular basketball only program, you know, does that 
I'm kind of like, if it happens, I'm fine with it. If, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily pro it happening. I, I don't yeah. think it's, ne- I don't think it's necessary. Right. Um, it would make a really good conference even better, but it's, there's a lot of elements to it that, that like you said, are just kind of head scratching and, and does, what does that lead to down the road? Um, you know, having just a singular outpost like that, that is very different than everybody, everybody else in the I sense mean, of everything about even let alone the, that they're in Washington and everybody else is in different places. It's like the schools are nowhere near each other. I mean, they're very, you know, we're kind of going back to the big East days of the bigger metro, you know, metropolitan or college towns in some cases, like there's no more Tulsa and Tulane and Temple, the small, you know, Tulsa's the smallest school in division, you know, division one, I think from an enrollment standpoint. So we're going back to the bigger schools and then you'd be adding this like, you know, small private school to that. So I, I just, I'm not sure the, what the end game is there. I don't know how much more money it would really bring in to everybody, you know, having one more school that is good, but like you said, it's market is small. I mean, they're not, they don't have a, a national following or anything like that. And will they sustain it when the day comes where Mark Few is no longer the head coach? Maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, he certainly built up a tremendous infrastructure for the program to be great, but when you lose a, you know, a singular coach like that, who's been one of the best uh, for a 10 year period of anybody that's ever done it, it's hard to imagine there won't be some drop off when that day comes. Like you said, if it happens, I'll look forward to the games. I think it would be thrilling to have them come into a fifth third arena every year, every other year, whatever it would turn out to be with the math. But it's kind of hard for me to imagine Gonzaga doing it. Yeah. I guess that's the hardest thing for me to envision. There's so many difficulties that would come into play for them that I have a hard time imagining it, but I guess uh, it's not that much different from USC and UCLA <laughs> becoming members of the big 10. Yeah. That's, that's except that's, you know, football is really what's driving that. Right. So right. That's the big difference. The, the USC to, to Rutgers, you know, basketball games are going to be going to be interesting trips. <laughs> so, but you know, how much do you get to, you know, you mentioned women's basketball. How much do you get to follow or pay attention to, you know, other sports at UC? Are there any, are there any other sports that you just personally as a sports fan enjoy checking out? Any other coaches that you've met that you really like that we should, you know, sh- shine some more spotlight on? And obviously we're a heavy basketball, football site and podcast, but, you know, the golf team has been playing very well. So we, you know, we talked, talked to, to, to coach Martin and, and, you know, what, where else in the program do you, do you like to focus on? Well, as you know, I love golf. So I am very interested in the UC golf program and Doug Martin's doing an unbelievable job to have them in the top 50 nationally. I think they briefly cracked the top 25 and now they're like 35th, Mm -hmm. something like that. So he's doing a great job. I'm a lifelong baseball fan, so I'm always keeping an eye on Bearcat baseball. And, you know, when they made their tournament run a few years ago, I think we all got caught up in the excitement of that. I can tell you that my son is on the baseball team at Walnut Hills. He's an 11th grader. 
and they played West Claremont earlier this week. And the pitcher that opposed them has committed to UC, and he was awesome. So, so uh, at least one of the incoming committed recruits is uh, is a stud. I can tell I you live, that. I live very close to to West Claremont, so I need. I might. I guess I need to go do some scouting for for Bearcat Journal. I think his name is. Well, can I say it? It's a. Ver, I think it's a verbal commitment. Maybe I can't say it. I don't know. Oh, you can. Yeah, you you you're fine. I can do it. I think his name is Nate Taylor. Maybe Nick Taylor, but he's a right-handed pitcher, big kid, probably six three at least. Uh, he was throwing seeds. I think he had fourteen strikeouts in six innings or something like that. So it was an impressive showing. Is there? When we joke about it. Is there anything that you will actually miss about the AAC? Or are you just like, nope, I'm good? <laughs> you know, uh, so on a very selfish note, it might make my Bengals travel a little more difficult. Yeah. So, you know, the I, I refer to it as my own version of the amazing race, yeah. trying to get from college games on Saturday to NFL games on Sunday. And the one good thing, uh, about the American, from my perspective, is that most of the cities were located close to big airports. Yep. That's not the case in the Big 12. So, you know, the, the overall footprint is similar, but the types of cities that UC will be going into are more college towns than big cities. So in some of those cases, I might be looking at, you know, a five-hour uh, to the Dapport or something like that to fly to the Bengals game the next day. So there could be some challenging travel weekends for me moving forward. Uh, but obviously it's well worth it and I'll figure out a way to get it done. Matt, Matt asks, you don't have a private jet. <laughs> I don't have one. Uh, Mike Brown does not have one. Not that he would loan it to me anyway, to uh, get to a Bengals game on Sunday. So no, I do not have a private jet. Dan, I thought this was a good question in the chat. Uh, speaking of Mike Brayfelt, and this was way earlier when you did uh, speak of, of UConn and what have you, um, have you thought about how he helped some of the kids who played on the UConn team he was strength and conditioning for a few years back? That's a good point. I hadn't really thought of that in the run to the national championship. I'm not sure how many of those guys he worked with uh, since he's been yeah. yeah, since he's been back here for a couple of years. And, you know, several of their players were either really young or guys that they uh, picked up in the portal. But, you know, even having said that, he may have lay, laid the groundwork for how sure. UConn is still, you know, approaching things from a strength and conditioning standpoint. He's so impressive at what he does. I'm sure whoever succeeded him at UConn has adopted a lot of the same, you know, protocols because I don't think there's anybody at the college level that does it better than Mike does. And uh, I think that those are – most of the other questions Dave's got to in the chat here. So if I see anything else, I'll, I'll pop in, but fair enough. You, uh, you obviously have tons of great calls throughout your career. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to single any one particular out. I think for me, the, the sauce Gardner pick six against UCF might be your most, most played call. Do you have a call that it might be that one, but do you have one that you feel like, after the fact, you were like, "Damn it, Dan, you nailed that one!" Like you, that you that you thought was exceptionally good, yeah. and and you know, 
I'm not sure that any announcer feels that way because you always <laughs> think that you can do it a little bit better. Maybe Al Michaels with "Do you believe in miracles?" Yes, that's, that's a which, tough one for him for him to beat. Yeah, that's you know that's the perfect call. I, I think that's the greatest play-by-play call in sports broadcasting history. Um, the Notre Dame game was such a special game, and having the opportunity just to you know try to provide the the right thoughts at the end of that game, I, I think was the challenge. And to me, um, you know, what did that game represent? It represented, sh- it represented showing the whole country that this team was for real and they deserve to be in consideration for the college football playoff going forward or being a top five ranked team, uh, whatever it might be. So, I, you know, I think I said, UC sends a message to the college football world. Did you see that? And uh, I think that, that kind of captured the emotion we were all feeling when they pulled off that win. Obviously you call UC games, football and basketball, you call the Bengals, you've called baseball. Do you, do you like calling one necessarily more than the other? Do you kind of look at as them as children and you're not, you're going to say, I like them the same, uh, you know, is there, do you get more excited to call like a, the Cotton Bowl, for instance, or the Super Bowl, or a huge basketball game. Like, how does how does that kind of work? Because, like, you know, as fans, the bigger the game, you get nervous. Do, do broadcasters, you know, feel the the magnitude of the game, and do, do you get nervous before the game? And absolutely, you know, is there I, one I that you ner- like more? I get like nervous. Calling? Yeah, I get nervous when I do something that I've never done before. So if I'm doing an event that I've never done before, I did the Luge Championships, the U.S. Luge Championships one year one year in Lake Placid. So I was nervous because I, you know, I never went down the court <laughs> face first, you know, at 100 miles an hour or whatever. Uh, but uh, but yeah, you get a little nervous for the big games, but it's good nervous. It's you know, it's the butterflies you want to have, right? because you understand the the magnitude of the game for for your team and your coaches and your fan base and you want to try to to live up to that moment um so yeah it, a lot of people have asked me what was it like to broadcast the super bowl and i equate it to the first jurassic park movie so sam neil and laura dern are in the uh you know jeep yep. driving around the island they don't quite know what to expect and all of a sudden the Jeep comes to a stop and Sam Neill looks up and like takes his glasses and he's like, you know, does one of those. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Super Bowl is like. You're in the booth, you're about to go on and you're thinking, you know, dinosaurs exist. I'm about to broadcast a Super Bowl. So that was such a privilege. Uh, I'm pretty confident I'm going to have that opportunity again at some point, hopefully soon in the Joe Burrow era. And uh, the Cotton Bowl was similar, having a chance to broadcast my team in the four-team college football playoff against Alabama with a chance to play for a national championship if they won. Uh, it was, you know, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to have the opportunity to do games like that. Is there, do you, do you like calling football or basketball more than the other? Or are they just totally different that they're kind of their own thing? So the the sport that I enjoy broadcasting the most is the one that I'm no longer doing, baseball. I love the challenge of broadcasting baseball, but I wouldn't want the life anymore. I wouldn't want to do 162 games plus spring training, never be at home in the summer, never see my kid. That lifestyle no longer appeals to me. So I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. I would say 
I rank them baseball, then football, then basketball. But, you know, the difference is a whisker between how much I like one more than the other. And the reason why I rank them that way is in terms of the challenge for me personally. I think baseball is the most challenging because of the amount of time you fill where the ball is not in play. So that requires you to be a storyteller, uh, to, you know, pick out appropriate stats, to discuss the strategy, all when the action is not happening. And then when they throw the pitch, then you describe the ball in play. Football, there are a lot of moving pieces that you have to constantly stay on top of. And then basketball, I think, is the easiest because it's 10 guys. The geography of the court is pretty easy to describe. We all know corner, half court, free throw line, top of the key, wing, etc. So my, my enjoyment, I think, is tied to what I consider to be the difficulty in broadcasting those sports. Do you think you'd feel the same way now with the new pitch clock era upon us? I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, I think Major League Baseball now is the sport that I fell in love with as a kid growing up in the you know 70s and 80s. Right. Games are two and a half hours instead of three hours and 15 minutes. There are more singles. There are more stolen bases. You know, of all of the, the rule changes that have come into Major League Baseball this year, the pitch clock is great. But I am actually more excited about banning the infield shift and having two infielders on each side of second base yeah. because I miss singles. I sure. miss a good left-handed hitter ripping a line drive into right center and being rewarded with a base hit instead of having an infielder from the left side of the infield standing out there in shallow right center, throwing him out at first base. That's not the game that I that I grew up loving. So more hits, more action, more stolen bases, more first to third. All of that stuff to me uh, is a vast improvement of what the game had become. And I'm really excited to, to watch a lot more Major League Baseball this year than I have in the last few. I just feel like watching any of the broadcasts that I've watched so far this year, them fitting stories in, I think, has been a struggle thus far as they're all adjusting to the pitch clock because the time is so much different than anything that they've ever dealt with. But they'll adjust. You know, yeah. Vin Scully was a great storyteller in the 70s <laughs> when when games lasted two and a half hours. I mean, if you go right. back, I have a DVD of the 1975 World Series. You know, even the game where Louis Tion threw 163 pitches didn't take three hours, I don't think. I mean, those games right. are moving along. Now, part of it was shorter commercial breaks, but batters weren't stepping out after every pitch and adjusting their gloves. Every at-bat didn't take forever. I think it's going to be great to see that type of baseball again. I'm with you. Is there, I don't know, if a sport or a singular event that, you know, granted you are contractually obligated to cover UC and the Bengals, so it might not work, but is there something that you, you know, just as a broadcaster, you have been like, man, I wish I could get the opportunity to call this game or this event? Sure. It's happening this weekend. The Masters. Masters. How great would it be to be part of the Masters coverage? I mean, that would be the greatest thing. I've only been once. I went as a spectator. It was the year the Tiger chipped in on 16 where he pitched up on the hill and the ball trickled down and stopped with a Nike logo perfectly framed for TV and then it tumbled in. That's That's the one time that I've been. Vern's call there is 
runs right up against Al Michaels' call. Like you'll like if you're a golfer, like you'll never forget. Have you ever in your life? You yeah. know. Yeah, a tremendous call. Absolutely. And you know, Tiger after that bogeyed 17 and 18 <laughs> and fell into a playoff with Chris DeMarco and then he won. So it was a great year for me to be able to go to a Masters. So that would be at the top of my list. I think golf in general. I think I would love to broadcast golf. I love the sport. I play the sport. I'm not that good. Uh, but I, I understand, you know, why great players are great players. I've dabbled in a little bit of golf coverage, never at the PGA level. Uh, but if I ever had that opportunity, I would, I would love it. What did you call in golf? I'm sorry. What did you call in what? So you may remember when I was working at Fox 19 years ago, mm -hmm. Chris Collinsworth started a tournament. Fox 19 was the media partner. It was kind of a celebrity pro-am, but Chris came up with an interesting idea where he took, I, I'm drawing a blank on the number, but he took something like the top eight local amateurs and the top eight local club pros, and they competed cool. in this tournament along with a lot of celebrities that Chris brought in, and we televised it on Fox 19. So we did that for about four or five years. I was in the tower at 18 with Chris. Uh, as one of my color commentators and Larry Dre's, the pro at uh, Hyde Park Country Club. And it was awesome. Now, it wasn't a PGA Tour telecast where uh, we had the ability to cover every hole. Right. Uh, we only, you know, fully televised the last three holes. And then we had, you know, remote camera crews getting video from the other holes. But it was a great experience. Working with Chris was a blast. Uh, so that was that was my one taste of doing golf. Man, I I would love to. I don't know. I might have been too young to even remember, but I I would have loved to to catch up some of that coverage. Yeah, you know David Ashbrock, who I worked with for many years at Fox nineteen, and is is a name that you know Cincinnati TV people will recognize. Produced those telecasts, and and David used to do the UC basketball games when they're on Fox nineteen, and he's so talented that it looked really good. I, I can't imagine how much time and energy he put he put into figuring out how to televise golf on a local level, but he pulled it off. The telecasts were great. Collinsworth was great. And like I said, it was a lot of fun to uh, to dabble in golf TV. Did Chris do the the slide in back then that he, like he does now? <laughs> the Collinsworth slide. Uh, no, we didn't think of doing the Collinsworth. <laughs> this was pre-Collinsworth slide. I could have invented the Collinsworth slide and uh, handed right. it off to Al Michaels, but I'm not that smart. Tell tell everybody, you know, something you you know something good nugget, something that you enjoy about working with Terry. And Jim on the UC side, and then with Dave on the Bengal side. Well, let's start with Jim Kelly, since I, I think I've been working with him the longest, no question about it, especially after Chuck passed away. So when I came to Cincinnati in 1996, Dick McPherson, the Hall of Fame former head football coach at Syracuse, who has since passed away, worked at UC in the early 1960s. And I got very close to Coach Mack. Uh, he was like a father figure for me when I was working in Syracuse. So I get the job in Cincinnati. I'm leaving Syracuse. Coach Mack calls me up to you know say goodbye. And he says, I want you to do something. When you get to Cincinnati, I need you to call Jim Kelly. Now he meant Jim Kelly Sr., Jim's dad. It's obviously a legendary figure at UC. But he said, you call Jim Kelly, 
tell him you're a friend of mine and you know, anything that you need help with in Cincinnati, he'll take care of you. So I took that advice and, you know, Jim senior was awesome. But then in a very short period of time, I'm doing games with Jim junior, who's also awesome. Oh yeah. And, and it's been so great to work with him because nobody loves UC football more. There might be people that love it as much, but nobody loves it more. Uh, his sense of history with the program you know, his appreciation for where it is now from where it was, I think is greater than just about, you know, anybody. And I've learned so much football from being in his presence in the booth all these years. So he's an awesome partner and a great friend. Um, so, you know, I, I, I hope he continues to do it for many, many more years to come because uh, if so, we'll have a lot of fun in the big 12. You know, Terry Nelson is a great broadcast partner because he's a great dude. He's glib. He's a natural you know, you could throw him on just about any type of broadcasting. And I think in a very short period of time that, you know, those people with a, people love him. He's got a great sense of humor. I enjoy the, the time I spend in his company. So uh, we were really lucky that when, you know, Chuck could no longer broadcast late in life and then passed away that we had somebody waiting in the wings as, as talented as Terry. So that's been a great transition. And then Lap. Uh, I spend more time with Lap during the football season than I spend with my wife and son. We have cubicles next to each other at Paycor Stadium. Um, he is a great friend, a great broadcaster. There's a reason why he's going to wind up on the, the Ring of Honor at Paycor Stadium. You know, he's a great player for his 10 years, but he has been such an incredible ambassador for the Bengals for 37 years as a broadcaster and 47 years overall as part of the franchise. Uh, you know, you, you can listen to one minute of a Bengals broadcast and you'll know immediately what it means to him. So I, I'm really lucky all of those guys. And then throw in Chuck, who is, you know, one of the greatest people I've ever met in my life. All of the partners that I've had in Cincinnati have been, you know, great friends and unbelievable broadcasters. And it's one of the reasons why I've, I've loved this job so much. With, and you know, I love Dave because he is, like he is me or he is the fan. Like, you know, you hear people, oh heck, he's stepping all over Dan. And, but it's like, but that, you know, that's kind of not to I'm not gonna say that's not what you want from a guy in his role, but like he feels how we feel. Is there, are there ever moments where you like have to kind of not control yourself from laughing? But like some of the stuff he says is pretty hilarious in the moment, and you're trying to like call the action. And he's go Jamar, go Jamar. Like, <laughs> do you ever, are you ever just like, like losing your mind? Uh, not so much because I'm concentrating on doing my aspect of the job. He says plenty of things that make me laugh, but he's doing it intentionally because he's got a great sense of humor. I have broadcast buddies that live in other parts of the country that when I started doing the Bengals games, you know, they would reach out to me and they say, man, you know, does it drive you crazy if, if Dave's yelling in the middle of the call? And the answer is no, because my audience loves it. And that's the bottom line. If you are serving the audience with a, a broadcast that they like, you are doing your job. And my audience loves Dave Lapham. I love Dave Lapham. And it's not like you can't figure out what happened. Right. You know, maybe at a, uh, for a split second, 
if I'm saying something and he's getting excited and we speak at the same time and you don't hear those words or maybe that sentence, you will briefly not quite know what happened, but you're going to know really quickly as the broad, you know, as the, as the play continues or we recap the play. So I don't look at that as a negative in any way. It's part of laps charm. Like, uh, like you said, as a Bengals fan, you like it. You feel like yeah. he's you. I think that's true for most Bengals fans. And uh, as I said with uh, with Jim Kelly Jr., I hope Lap continues to do it for a long, long time because he is going to be incredibly difficult to sure. succeed oh, for, for sure. all the things he does for the organization, not only on the air, but the way he represents the Bengals as an ambassador. Uh, that's that's going to be one of the toughest uh, succession stories that franchise will ever have. I mean. I've been a fan my whole life, even through the lost decade. And to hear someone who still gets ex that excited about the way they're playing now, like, I love it. Like, that's how I would feel. Like, that's how I would feel. That's how I feel like all Bengals fans feel at this point. Yeah. And, you know, Lap is obviously he's known for getting excited and, and going bananas. But his analysis is awesome. Oh, yeah the amount of homework he still puts in 37 years into broadcasting the games. I would put it up against anybody at any level. My man grinds on a daily basis year round. Look how many podcasts that he cranks out year round. His work ethic is unbelievable. I think his analysis is incredible. So, you know, yeah, he's, he's known especially among the casual fan for being the guy that's going bonkers in the booth. But I think the diehard fans recognize how much they learn from his analysis because he is he's incredibly good at it. Do, what is the origin of the coffin nails call? Like, do you know the exact game that he said it the first time? Did he tell you he was going to say it if they were, you know, winning? Like, how did that all come about? I don't remember the exact game, but it was definitely in our first year of working together, and it was completely organic toward the end of a game that the Bengals won as they were closing in on victory. You know, they made an interception or some sort of play that basically put the game away. And I said, just as a, you know, as an expression, that should be coffin nails or something like that. And he immediately said, bam, bam, bam. And on my drive home, it was definitely a home game because on my drive home, they played that moment on the post-game show. And as I'm driving home, I think to myself, you know, that was pretty good. Um, maybe that's something that we could use that could kind of be our, and this one belongs to the Reds. Right. So that was the origin. It was completely unrehearsed, unplanned, nothing to it the first time around. Heard how it sounded, loved the way that he followed my coffin nails right away with bam, bam, bam. And, and that's how that came about. I, I think I laugh every time still. It's, I love it. It's, yeah, like you said, it's. Do you have the shirt? Do you I have a lot of Bengals gear. I, I guess I need, need to get one of those. It's a good one. They did it a nice is. job with good caricatures of, of Dave and Dan on the front of that shirt. I, I, when I was thinking earlier, when you were talking about the travel, and, you know, with the airport situation, you might get bailed out a little bit this year with apparently 
all of the primetime games that they uh, are going to get. So you might get some more Sunday night and Monday night and, and 4.30 games. So that, that might help you out a little bit. Does help me. No, no, that's that's not a laughing matter for me. So when the NFL schedule comes out, at that point, we already know the UC schedule. So for years, that has been my most stressful day of the year, waiting for the NFL schedule to come out, lining up my UC Saturdays with my Bengals Sundays and trying to figure out, okay, there are going to be a handful of times during the year where it's going to be challenging for me to get from point A to point B. Well, with the number of primetime games that they play now, that gives me a much bigger buffer. And if you look at the UC schedule for this coming season, the game that would have presented the biggest problems or could have presented the biggest problems was on the road at BYU because traveling back east is always more difficult because of the time difference. That's a Friday night game. So that's a big break for me. It's not going to be difficult or it shouldn't be difficult for me to get from a Friday night game in Provo to wherever the Bengals are, you know, that Sunday. I'm sure they won't be playing on Saturday uh, that early in the season. So uh, the number of primetime games and and uh, non-Sunday games, they'll probably play, you know, they're certainly going to play at least one day, one Monday, probably a couple. Obviously, they'll play on Thursday. They'll probably have a few Sunday nights. So all of that helps me. you know, get from point A to point B. Yeah. I know, I know we talked to you about this when we had you as a guest on part of the punctuation, Dan, but uh, for this audience, at least it's a little, little different. It's been a couple of years since we asked you this question anyway, uh, but is there any bigger honor for you than your baseball announcer stint on the Simpsons? <laughs> uh, it's the one thing that my son and my nieces and nephews have been impressed by in my career. The fact that there was a character named for me on the Simpsons, but the backstory is when I was broadcasting minor league baseball, in Syracuse, my broadcast partner one year was a guy named Ken Levine, who has won multiple Emmy Awards for his work as a TV sitcom writer. He wrote for MASH for several years. He wrote for Cheers for several years. And uh, The Simpsons was just getting started uh, when I did my year of minor league baseball with Ken. So we became great friends. And a couple of years later, he wrote the Dancing Homer episode of The Simpsons, where Homer becomes the mascot for the local minor league baseball team, the Springfield Isotopes, and the broadcaster in that episode is Dan Horde. Now, it's not my voice. I was not a member of the Screen Actors Guild, could not use my voice, uh, but it is my name. The broadcaster says his name in the episode. So, Years ago, when there were far fewer episodes of The Simpsons available in syndication, that episode would play on reruns several times a year. And every time it played, I would get phone calls or texts from people saying, hey, I don't know if you know this. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. <laughs> you should have messed I, with them and like, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, I think I just heard your name on The Simpsons. You'll, well, you'll have to get so me a copy episodes. of that. Yeah, now that there are so <laughs> Did many you tape episodes. it on your VHS? <laughs> Was the tracking okay? <laughs> right. Now there are so many episodes of The Simpsons out there. That one might play once a year or something you, like that. I think get, it was from uh, season three. Do you get royalties for that? No, no royalties for that. I don't want any royalties for that. No NIL deal for Dan Horde. No, no such luck. But the fact that that still exists is really cool. I have uh, a signed copy of the script from Ken, which is cool. I have like a, you know, a cell 
of the uh, animation, which is really cool. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's been something that's that's been fun over all of these years. And I'm forever indebted to Ken Levine for writing me into that episode. We talked, you know, about coaches. We've talked about the Big 12. I want to ask you, you know, John Cunningham has made, you know, several, you know, now several key hires. He's spearheading this um, indoor project. Obviously, he played, you know, some part in the Big 12 move and whatnot. But, you know, you probably have gotten to, to talk to him and be around him as much as anybody that we, you know, we would have access to just – you know, kind of your overall impressions of, of where you've seen him go from where he started to today and just and, ha- and his stewardship of the athletic department. I think he's done an unbelievable job under brutally difficult circumstances. So almost right away, COVID hits right after he becomes the AD. He's got to navigate that. You know, there have been changes in the coaching staff and the most important roles. I think he's done a fantastic job. I think he's hired really good people. There's another situation similar to uh, Scott Satterfield when John Cunningham was one of the candidates, when it became public that he was one of the candidates for the job, he had a Syracuse background. So I knew that there were a lot of people that are still at Syracuse that are friends of mine that knew him. So I reached out to them. Hey, you know, what can you tell me about John Cunningham? And similarly, they were all, oh, this guy's great. He did an awesome job here. He wasn't the AD, uh, but he was the right-hand man to the AD at the time. Uh, They thought he was great. Everybody had nothing but great things to say about him. And I think he's done a fantastic job (laughs) under very challenging circumstances. And, you know, I think it's really all paying off now, the move into the Big 12, first and foremost. But I think he's hired excellent coaches. I'm really excited about Katrina Merriweather. I think that was a coup. Uh, based on the fact that, you know, Memphis was thrilled to have her the last couple of years and, you know, getting her to come back to where she played college basketball, I think is going to lead to some great things for the women's basketball program. So I think he's super impressive. I hope he's here for a long, long time because I think he's one of the best they've ever had. You've been around Zach Taylor now for two different stints, his his year as offensive coordinator under Tommy Tuberville and now as Bengals head coach. Uh, did you see Super Bowl – head coach in Zach Taylor's future when he was here at UC or is this, you know, surprising to you, not surprising now that you've kind of gotten to know him on two different levels. I don't think anybody can say they saw that when he was here because it was a bad year. It was Tuberville's final year. The offense wasn't very good. Uh, They were juggling quarterbacks. I think three guys started at quarterback that year. So it was a really tough situation, but I developed an incredible amount of respect for him that year because he was Mr. Positive no matter what. Tuberville's throwing him under the bus publicly. You know, they're they're juggling quarterbacks. And Tuberville, instead of being the head coach and taking responsible responsibility, is saying things like, well, I, I left that up to Zach, you know, and, and I'm thinking, come on, you're the head coach. Um, so I, I thought Zach handled that so well. So I developed a lot of respect for just the way he conducted himself under very difficult circumstances. And then when he started to being uh, mentioned as a head coaching candidate for the stuff that he was doing in L.A. under, uh, you know, Sean McVay, I thought, wow, uh, I didn't necessarily see that coming. But if he ever gets that opportunity, I think he's the type of guy that could, could at least be a great leader of men. And that's the thing that stood out in his early years with the Bengals. Even when they were 0-11 his first season, the buy-in was still good. His attitude was great. 
You know, you never saw the frustration coming out. You knew it was there, uh, but he never let it get to him. And I'm just so happy that things have worked out the way that they have, because I think he is an awesome person and you can't help but feel happy for a guy like that when he has he has the kind of success that they've had the last of years. I who does he does because he really is a good person. Yeah, and I think too that the transient nature of the profession it, it truly does seem like he loves being here. And granted, you can say that you can love being somewhere and still want to go somewhere else. And so I'm not going to say that he would never take another opportunity, but it certainly feels like that he, you know, the minute it became real, he, him and his whole family were, were very, very happy to be coming back. 100%. When he interviewed for the Bengals head coaching job, he had head coaching interviews on three consecutive days in the same hotel. Teams came into town to interview him. He walked into the same hotel ballroom basically three days in a row. And the Cincinnati job was the job that he wanted of the three. And it was because of his experience and his family's experience living here. This felt like home to him growing up in uh, Norman, Oklahoma. Um, you know, same kind of Midwestern mindset. Uh, great school for his kids to go to, great neighborhood. They, they basically moved back into the same neighborhood. So he had such a great experience in Cincinnati, and his wife did, even though it was a bad year for the Bearcats, uh, that that made this his preferred job of the three. And, you know, I'm so happy it worked out that way. The NFL draft is obviously coming up in a few weeks. The UC's got several players that are going to be drafted. Is there... Is there one player or two players in particular that you're most interested in seeing in seeing where they go? You know, how, how does your coverage and how does your coverage from a from a Bengal standpoint? Um, what is that like on the draft now that it's three days and the Bengals pick very late in the night? Are you and mm -hmm. all your everybody else just sitting around watching it as fans and then you are ushered into a room once they make their pick. Like, you know, how does, how does that work for you guys? So it's a little bit like that. So on the first night of the draft, the Bengals have a party for season ticket holders and lap and I are involved in that doing some things with the crowd, some giveaways, you know, talking about the prospects that they are looking at. So I do have some responsibilities with that. And then uh, typically I've written a story each day of the draft for the Bengals website and then cranked out a podcast uh, after every round of the draft. So it's a really busy weekend for me, but it's a fun weekend. I love the draft, um, you know, and I've got two things that I'll be interested in who the Bengals pick and where the UC players go. And there definitely could be an overlap. I think Josh Wiley's a real possibility. I think it's virtually guaranteed the Bengals will draft at least one tight end, not completely out of the question that they'll draft two. Uh, I think they're going to look to, you know, improve the depth at wide receiver. That brings Tyler Scott and Trey Thomas into play. I think every team in the NFL would like to have Ivan Pace, you know, at the right spot in the draft. And I'm sure the Bengals feel that way about him. So uh, I would not find it the least bit surprising if, if one of those guys winds up on the Bengals roster. We brought this up on one of the shows somewhere on our network between all of the shows that we do here, but if Josh Wiley gets drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, how big of a monetary move is that for the Cincinnati Bengals, being that the entire West Side would buy Josh Wiley jerseys? <laughs> you want to sign Joe Burrow to this extension, 
draft Josh Wiley because he his jersey sales alone will pay for Joe Burrow's contract. That does that apply to Ivan Pace too, being a Corey I mean, sure. guy? Absolutely. Yeah. Why wouldn't it? I mean, you got the whole West Side buying Wiley and Pace jerseys. That's three hundred dollars a pop. Let's go. You know. There's some truth to that. Not that they would take him for that reason, but when they drafted Sam Hubbard, those Sam Hubbard jersey sales were huge. Yeah. Yes. So if they do take one of those guys, uh, you know, especially with Cincinnati high school ties, those jerseys will fly off the shelf. The one thing I'll say about Josh Wiley, I mean, I'd love to see him in a Bengals uniform because I like him personally, but it is such a deep tight end draft. This might be the, the deepest group of good tight ends ever in an NFL draft. So Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, you know, fill in whichever tight end you're most interested in. Uh, I think they're going to get at least one of those guys. And if it winds up being Josh Wiley, it would probably be a little bit later in the draft and, you know, more of a value type pick. But uh, it'd be fine with me. I'd love to see him playing uh, in a Cincinnati uniform for more years to come. Do, do you and Dave get – five seconds in the draft room do you get no one second in the draft room it's kind of maybe more so the marvin era dave seemed to have a pretty keen idea on (laughs) on who they were going to draft and maybe that's not so much anymore but you know you guys cover the team how much intel you know do they actually give you or is are you finding out just like we are when they make the pick We have the opportunity to talk to, you know, some of the decision makers in the week leading up to the draft. I can't say that they have ever told me exactly who they're going to pick, but you have usually have a pretty good idea of the guys that, you know, are at the the top of the most likely category. As for being in the so-called war room itself, I'm in there every year, but not until immediately after the draft. (laughs) So I get to go in and kind of see things you know, after the after fact, the fact like, and and you do learn a lot from being oh, in yeah. there immediately afterward. But no, they do not let me go in there before the uh, before the draft <laughs> takes place. No, no facial scans and fi- and fingerprints <laughs> and voice activated entry there. Yeah, nothing like that. But I do like to go. Uh, it's it's a privilege to go in immediately after the draft and see where some of these players were on their board. You know, when they say something like, "Well, we had you know a high second round grade." on some guy that they wound up taking in the fourth round, you actually get to go in and see that is the case. There are the, you know, top third of the second round guys and there's that name. So, you know, when they say things like that, they're not lying. Right. Right. Well, you know, I, I appreciate your time. We, I don't want to keep you much longer. I know uh, you're a very busy person. Very appreciative of you jumping in here for us tonight. This was a lot of fun. Again, I'm, I'm disappointed we haven't gotten to talk draft, you know, one-on-one while we're watching practice. Um, it kind of threw me when you said Sam was a junior now. Yeah. Because of our old story of after the UCLA game and the, and the Sorry Dan podcast. And <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm sure that's not a big deal anymore. But I was like, man, he's that old now. So, um, yeah. The handsome lad is 16. He uses bad language. You are now free to say anything you want (laughs) on your podcast. If he's listening in the backseat, it won't be anything that he's not, you know, he's not hearing at school these days, I'm sure. But man, uh, it it flies by. It's heartbreaking. It seems like 
I, it was last week that I was reading him bedtime stories and, and now he's asking me for the keys to the car. So, uh, everybody tells you when you have a child that it, it flies by quickly, but they're not lying. It's, is he a, uh, is he a future it's awesome and heartbreaking simultaneously. Do you think he's a future Bearcat or, or do, are we not that far down the road yet? Uh, we have discussed, you know, the colleges that he's interested in visiting. He's taken a couple of college visits so far. He wants to go to a school that has big time sports. He wants that to be part of his college life. He won't be playing big time sports. He won't be broadcasting because he's not interested in following in my footsteps, but he wants to go to a school that has it. So Cincinnati would qualify. There are obviously a lot of schools not too far from here that would qualify. So we'll see. We're going to be doing a lot more of that uh, in the months to come. We've taken a couple of visits so far. So well, uh, hopefully hopefully he winds up at a place that works out as well for him as Syracuse did for me. That's that's very funny that you say that because him and I are sound like we're, we were very similar high schoolers. You know, I went to Tennessee and and we went on our freshman orientation and there were hundreds of kids in this room with their families and people from the university are going around asking everybody, you know, not everybody select people. You know, why did you choose to come to Tennessee? And some kids said, because my whole family's gone here. And then someone said, because uh, that I wanted to major in this, whatever. And they actually came to me and they said, why did you choose to come to Tennessee? And I go, cause you're good at football. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like right two years after they won the national championship. And then as soon as I showed up, everything went to hell, but I was like, because you're good at football. And I was, yeah. the I, it sounds Sam and I are the exact same. Like I had three qualifiers and one of them was they, it had to matter. Like whether it was football or basketball, like it had to be a thing that everybody got behind. I didn't, you know, and, and that's why, you know, that's why I picked Tennessee. And it sounds like Sam is uh is in lockstep with some, with some of that thinking. So, so I'm, I'm right. I'm right there with him. Yeah. He's a math and science type kid. So I think he can go to a lot of different schools where the academics will be, you know, easy to find things that, that fit his interests. So it really is finding the, the right fit for the type of college experience that he wants to have. And I think it's going to be a big school that has big time sports. When I went to Syracuse, you know, they have a very good communication school. It's unofficially known as Sportscaster U. So that was the number one consideration for me. But when I went on my visit uh, in the summer of my junior year, the Carrier Dome was one year old. And the college tour began on the turf inside the Carrier Dome. That's where you started the tour. I didn't need to continue. They had to go see anything else. It was like, Wow. I'm yeah. going to be in this brand new place watching football and basketball and hopefully broadcasting games on the student radio station for the next four years. Sign me up right now. So I did visit a few other schools, but I didn't really have to. That's uh, that's where I wanted to go from that point on. Yeah. If he if he ever starts looking at any SEC schools, let me know. I'll, I'll give him the, the details on on the good and the bad. <laughs> will do. I think there probably will be a couple of uh, SEC visits at some point. Well, that's just wild that he's already looking at that after, uh, you know, it's six years ago when, when the sorry, sorry, Dan was came to be, but I, again, thank you so much. Uh, I know Chad appreciates it. I appreciate it. All of our listeners and members, you know, love to hear you talk about the Bearcats, the Bengals, uh, 
So thank you so much for uh, jumping on with us tonight. Dave, Aaron, thank you. My pleasure. You, Happy to do it anytime. And uh, we still need to talk some more, Dave, about uh, the, the European golf adventure. Uh, I've, we do. I've, I've I'm got globbing some... my way onto your well, international I, golf trip. I, I don't want to end this. I, it's... Uh, <laughs> Damn it. It's uh it's not happening when we had planned. Oh, I get pushed uh, back. Well, I'm hopefully there's there's been some things that have uh have transpired that uh, we'll we'll need to to kind of revisit and maybe I can can talk to you about it on the uh when we're when we see each other for the spring game. All right, fair enough. And we'll then you can, you can you can also then tell me who the Bengals are gonna draft in the in the first round. So we'll we'll you know we'll we'll catch up next Saturday. Fair enough. Dan, you do know that Chad is totally aiming to make this some type of Bearcat Journal content. Well, there will be are... there will be content <laughs> whenever we go to to Europe. There will be content. No doubt about it. Yes. Dan and Dave crossing the bridge on the 18th at St. Yeah, Andrews now, and, now and Bearcat they, gear. After they ripped up that stupid little patio that they thought was a good was a good idea to build next to the the bridge. So, yeah, but no, we it's going to happen, Dan. Don't you worry. You will, uh, well, you will get the invite. So hopefully, fairly soon, because I've only got so many good, um, so many years of decent golf left in me. I'm getting old. Oh, I, I think you're you're in much better shape than maybe you you give yourself credit for. So I think I think you got plenty of time left. I hope. <laughs> I hope. But again, thank you. Can't thank you enough. Uh, great show tonight, and uh, thank you everybody for coming on. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you to Holy Grail, as always. And uh, we will be back next week. And, you know, maybe we'll have some transfer portal guys to talk about. We'll have a spring game to preview, NFL draft to preview. It's, it's never ending here at Bearcat Journal. So with that, I thank you all and have a great night. Thanks, Holy Grail. <laughs>